Now, I know that may look familiar to some of you. We've enjoyed this series on Family Circus, and when it began, we began to put this together. I wasn't quite sure where we'd go with this, but I'm very excited about already the messages that are being given and what will continue to be spoken about family from God's Word. Now, all of you here have one of those kind of stories, right, uh, where it kind of feels like a circus. How many of you have uh, had or have one of these symbols on your car, right? Anybody still have one of those? Or at one time you had one, uh, a, a Christian symbol of some sort on your car. Well, my wife had one of those on her car, and she, she drove around very proudly of her Christian faith. There was a time, though, that... Um, where I was out of town and she got a call from Lexington Middle School that our daughter had fallen and possibly had a concussion and Lynn needed to get to the school as quickly as she could so to take her to the hospital to be examined. Well, my wife was working at Colonial Life and she left Colonial Life in downtown Columbia or there off of uh, the this River Road, wherever it is right there, somewhere near there, and, and, and began to drive very rapidly toward Lexington. When she got on 378, she noticed that a car followed her closely on her bumper off of the interstate onto 378. And as she rapidly, as any mom would do, in and out of traffic, all the way down 378 into the parking lot, this car followed her at Lexington Middle School. Now, if you know my wife, she's a very gentle, kind, loving woman, right? And as Lynn exited the car, this person exited their car and came over to Lynn and said, it is so embarrassing to know that you are advertising to be a Christian and you are driving so recklessly like that. You're making a bad name for all of us who are Christians. My wife, a strong godly woman, <laughs> very quickly explained the situation to this very rude Christian. And then she did this <laughs> and walked into school. Now, I, I'm, I'm guessing that this uh, Christian uh, village, what is that? What is it? Ah. Anyway, th this watchman or whatever uh, was embarrassed and got back in his car and sheepishly drove off. See, we all have those kinds of stories, right? Where we have some drama, some crisis, some family circus events. You don't ever want to poke mama bear though, right? You don't want to do that because that can lead to some problems. So how do we step right up in the midst of a family circus? And I'm going to preach today on something I've never preached on. I'm going to preach uh, on the family circus of Jesus. And I mean, absolutely no disrespect to Jesus and his family. But if you look closely at scripture, the family of Jesus had some drama in it, had some circus-like qualities going on. And it begins with his family lineage. The Gospel of Matthew tells the story of Jesus' family tree. Now, certainly within the family tree of Jesus, there were some spiritual giants, but there were also some folks with some checkered past. If you look closely at the lineage of Jesus, you'll find a prostitute. You'll find some murderers. You'll find some liars. You'll find some traitors. 
You see, Matthew doesn't hide Jesus's family history. He includes those who had failed, those who were broken. In essence, you have a biblical family circus tree. And that's good news for all of us because all of us have our failures. All of us have our brokenness. All of us have our regrets, our remorse, and our baggage. And Jesus invites all of us to be in his family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're all honest today, our own family trees don't look a whole lot different. In all of our family trees, we have some circus going on. Everybody has a mixed bag for family. And so we see the lineage of Jesus here in the Gospels. But also as you read closely in the Gospels, you also see the family linen of Jesus. By that I mean the dirty linen, the, the, the craziness, the even dysfunction in Jesus' family. Because again, we think of Jesus as, certainly he is the son of God, he is without sin, but he was born into an earthly family like you and I live in. And that family has some challenges. In fact, Donna read for you the, the account here in Luke chapter two, where Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. How many of you have been unaware of some things that your kids were up to? <laughs> Just weren't aware of it, right? Didn't know what was going on. And they went back and didn't find him and searched for three days. Have any of you here lost a kid for three days? I mean, you know, I mean, you've, you, some of you have left him here at church. I know we, we found him and, and called you and you came back and got him, but not for three days, right? Maybe a couple hours, but not three days. And then they were astonished and they asked this question, son, why have you treated us like this? Now, how many of you have asked your children that question? Why have you done this? Or you ask your parents, why have you done this? Or your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, why are you treating us this way? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then, don't you love Jesus' response? Now, how many of your kids have said this to you? Why were you searching for me? <laughs> Why were you concerned about me? Seriously? You're 12 and we're your parents. We've all, as parents or grandparents, have lived into those moments. Or we, as children, have caused that discomfort and pain and chaos and family circus in our own families. But it doesn't stop there. You go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, you read this one time. Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and, his, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried, they tried to take him away and said, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. You go back to the story at the temple when Jesus was 12. I love how the message paraphrases Luke 248. 
Mary speaking, your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. And yet here, later, when Jesus begins his ministry, his own family tells Jesus that you're out of your mind. Things aren't right. If you look at John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 5, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. The brothers of Jesus, the half-brothers of Jesus, did not believe in him, did not believe his teaching, did not believe his preaching. And I'm sure they had heard from their mother Mary about the amazing immaculate conception, the virgin birth that took place, that God is the father of your brother Jesus. They didn't believe. Now, can you imagine what it was like to grow up as a brother to Jesus? I would imagine there was a quite a bit of sibling rivalry going on there. It, it harkens us back to the trouble that Joseph ran in with his brothers, the jealousy that led them to sell him into slavery. And I'm sure that Jesus' brothers had some challenges growing up with the Son of God as their brother. And Jesus expresses it himself in Mark's gospel, chapter 6. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and what? His own family. His own family. Now, don't you think it caused Jesus some pain when he said that? That even in my own family, I have no honor. So how did Jesus, in the midst of a family circus, minister to his family? And how can you and I learn from what Jesus did and how he navigated that, navigated that? How do you step up for your family? Now, I want to suggest some things that we can learn from Jesus and how he lived and breathed in a very human, broken, confused, rebellious family. The first thing I would say to you is you need to be about your father's business, not just the family's business. Be about your father's business, not just your family business. You see, Jesus' response to his mother and his father was, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, Jesus' father had a business. He was a carpenter, ran a carpenter shop more than likely. But Jesus at the age of 12 recognized that the heavenly father's business was more important than the family business. And whenever we get that backwards and get that confused, it results in some chaos, and even some family circus. Scripture is clear that we are commanded to love God first with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. And then comes the family business. It goes to priorities. We are to love God first, then our spouses or ourself, as we love ourselves and love our neighbor. Then comes our children, 
Then comes our careers. And then comes all the other things in life. Next week, I'm excited. I'm going to be preaching a sermon in the auditorium with my good friend, Steve Arneson, who is a great Christian counselor. And we met Friday afternoon and strategized on next week's message. And next week's message is about balance, juggling, how you balance all the priorities, all the stuff of life. And there's a lot of stuff in life, right? But how does God want us to balance that out? How did Jesus balance his family business with his father's business? How do we navigate that ourselves? It's going to be a great message. I came across this quote here. I love this quote in doing some reading about family and within the family of God and honoring God. It says, the family of God is not here to serve the interests of our family. Did you hear that? The family of God is not here to serve the interests of our family. Rather, our families are here to serve the interests of God. What has made this church significant in this community is we have put forth serving God, number one, and not meeting our own needs first. When I talk to other pastors and other churches, I said the number one thing you got to turn around is the question, what's in this for us? Why should we build that? What's in it for us? Why should we start that? What's in that for us? Why do we need that? Why do my kids need that? Instead, the question is, why do they need it? Why does God need it? Why does God want this church to do what it's doing? And we can't be at the top of the list. God is always at the top of the list. Not my will be done, but what? Thy will be done, Father. So be about your father's business before you are about your family's business. And that also means the body of Christ, this family right here. Be about your father's business before you're about the family's business at the church. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All things will be added unto you. But before you think I'm bashing a family, I'm not. The second thing we got to do is honor and obey. Honor and obey. Now, what does that mean? In Ephesians 6, it says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Honor and obey. Now, what does that mean? From a biblical perspective, children are to obey their parents as long as they are, let me give a, give a phrase here or, or a definition, as long as they're underneath the parent's roof, right? Is that, is that a fair statement? As long as the mom and dad is footing the bill. How about that? Can I get a second to that? Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, you know, in Jesus' age, in his time, 13, you became an adult at 13. And there's a good chance that Mary conceived with child was probably 13 or 14 or 15. Now, in our day today, 18 is considered to be an adult. Children, obey your parents. Now, this is an amazing statistic. In 1970, when the era that I was a teenager, 
The age of adolescence was 13 to 18. You know what the, the age of adolescence is today? 11 to 30. <laughs> Do we wonder what's going crazy in our world today? Is that children are having a hard time growing up. And, and before we get critical of the children, let me cast some of the blame on the parents. Because we enable that. And we allow that. And we hold on and hold on. And we got to let it go. And we got to let them go and we got to push them out of the nest. You know, go watch a little nature and watch how the mama bird <laughs> just, you know, you're on your own. I fed you enough now. You got to go find something to eat. You know, you are now an adult bird, even though you can barely fly. Now, again, there's reason there and there's certainly extenuating circumstances. And both of our kids came back home <laughs> after the age of 18. So I can understand where we're coming from here, okay? Lynn and I have lived this. You know, we know. But for children to move to adulthood, there needs to be a healthy shift from dependence and obedience to peer and equal relationship. There's got to be a movement where there is equal mutual respect of yes and no because that's healthy. And I'll guarantee you, if you're in a situation where you as an adult parent are trying to control your adult children, that's gonna produce a family circus. Unhealthy controlling leads to a healthy, leads to a family circus. Now, let me, let me add on here that while obedience changes over time, as Christians, we are never to stop honoring and respecting our parents. We always honor as long as we live. We always give respect as long as we live. We can disagree <laughs> and we can have that negotiation, but we engage with honor. And let me say to all of us know this, sometimes to avoid a family circus, the way we honor is to walk away and not pour gasoline on the fire, right? Sometimes you just got to step back and say, we're not going to have that conversation right now. I'll talk to you next month <laughs> or whatever that cooling down period needs to be for you. Honor means you take the high road. But you look at the life of Jesus again, and what we, what we can see from tradition is that following what happened in the temple at the age of 12, it says that then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. As far as we know, Jesus then obeyed his mom and dad, his mom and his stepdad for the next 18 years, working in the carpentry business Mark says that people called Jesus a carpenter. Matthew said he was known as a carpenter's son. But make no doubt when Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30, while he always honored his family, he didn't agree with his family. In fact, he disobeyed his family whenever they tried to take him away. When they tried to move him out of ministry, he says, no, I've got to be about my father's business, not the family business. 
So you choose your father's business above your family business. You honor and you obey. And then thirdly, I would say, we've got to serve within our family. Jesus declared that he came to serve and not be served. And we see it happening early in his ministry. In John's gospel, the next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. And I love what Jesus said in this version. (laughs) Dear woman, that's not our problem. That is not our problem. Now, can you hear Jesus saying that to his mom? That's not our problem. And what did his mom say? Yes, it is. (laughs) It is our problem. And she says, and Jesus says, my time has not yet come, but his mother said, do whatever he tells you. So what is Jesus doing? He's serving his mom. He's honoring his mom. And so he says to the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions. And the best wine was the first miracle of Jesus because his mother said so. (laughs) And it was God's timing. The father, it's always great when the father's business and the family business are united together, right? That's a cool thing when that happens, when we're one accord. Then we find this account at the end of John's, near the end of John's gospel in John 19. Standing near the cross was Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took Jesus' mother into his home. Now, I think we can see a little bit of the family circus even going on here is that Jesus didn't ask one of his half-brothers to take care of his mom. He didn't ask any of his potential half-sisters to take care of their mother. Instead, he asked his most, most faithful disciple, his most faithful Christian brother, to take care of his mama. He was serving his mom there at the cross. So what does serving our family look like? That takes all different uh, examples or acts of service. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. Name is Lois, and I can tell you, I can guarantee you that whenever she discovers that we're coming to Conway, her first question is, what do you want me to fix you to eat? You know? Well, what do you want to eat? And we say, well, nothing, we're good. We're, we're going to stop and get something on the way. Or, <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't work, right? You know? and, and then if, when you walk in the door and something's ready, hopefully it's some homemade chicken dressing, when something's ready, you'll hear these, she'll come up to me and say this, this to me. I did this just for you. <laughs> just for you. Then I kind of step back and I watch her go over to Lynn and you know, a little bit later she goes, I did this just for you. <laughs> and if our kids are there later, she'll go, I did this just for you. You, you, know, you know people like that, right? 
And I believe that she really believes she's doing it just for you. You see, our Heavenly Father so loved the world that he did it just for you. He sent his son just for you and you and you and you and you and you. That's how God works. Serving, saying, what can I do to help? I did it just for you. Don't you know that from the cross, Jesus looked at his mom and said, I did this for you. Somewhere was his brothers and he said, I did it for you. You want to bring healing to your family circus? Get into a mode of serving. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians. I want to read it for you this morning. It's, it's a great passage. I'm not going to have time to break it all down, but you can break it down later through the Holy Spirit as you bring it into your family dynamics. It begins in verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. By the way you live in your family, don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Whose heart is broken first when there is dysfunction in your family? God's. It breaks the heart of God. Bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. You may feel good about it because you were right and they were wrong, or you got your way and they didn't get their way, but it breaks God's heart. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So, family circus, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, instead, be kind to each other. I did it just for you. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you as are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So how do you serve in a family circus as you get rid of bitterness? What is that? It's the spirit that refuses reconciliation. I'm not going to say I'm sorry till they say they're sorry. I'm not going to fix this until they fix this. This wasn't my fault. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't his fault. But he went there to die for our sins. A spirit of reconciliation. Get rid of rage, which is selfish anger. Slander, which is, you talk about creating family circus when we backbite and talk about each other. And we, in a family room and somebody's talking over there and we wonder if they're talking about us or talking about them. Get rid of that, Paul says. Instead, extend grace and kindness and sympathy. Instead of wanting to have compliance and control, offer compassion Instead of criticizing, offer compliments and show concern. Serve. And then what I say to you is don't give up. Don't give up on your family. Jesus' brothers, half-brothers, didn't believe for 33 years. Now, again, 
Has there ever been a better sermon given than the Sermon on the Mount? I think not. But it didn't change the lives of Jesus' brothers. Has anyone ever given a more incredible acts of compassion and healing than Jesus? I think not. But it didn't affect the immediate life of Jesus' brothers. But the great news is that what happened was once the resurrection happened, once they saw that Jesus was alive and he was who he says he was, they believed. And his brother James went on to write the book of James and become a leader in the church. And Jude went on to write the letter of Jude and became a leader in the church. Why? Because Jesus didn't give up on his brothers. And you and I don't need to give up on our children and our grandchildren and our brothers and our sisters and our parents and our siblings. Don't give up. At our men's prayer breakfast on Friday morning, I, I covered this part of my message and I, I wasn't in my message until Thursday night and I wanted to share it with the men's prayer breakfast and the Lord says you need to include this in your message. So what are the prayers that keep you from giving up in the midst of a family circus? Number one, you pray, Lord, use my prodigal friends to change them. When I say prodigal, I mean that sibling, that son, that daughter, that granddaughter, that grandchild, that parent that doesn't believe. See, prodigals who returned to the Lord were asked who had the greatest influence on, to convince you to turn back to Christ. It was not their parents. It was not their siblings. It was their friends. And we need to pray that God would use friends and coworkers to reach those in our families who have drifted away, who are not in a relationship with Christ. Pray that God will bring godly friends into their lives. And here's number two, and this is a hard one, because most of us are praying that God would change that sibling or that son or that daughter or that granddaughter or grandson or those parents. Change them, Lord. Change them. Change them, Lord. And instead, God may tell, be telling you to pray or me to pray, change me. Change me. Change my bitterness. Change my resentment. Change my anger. Change my self-righteousness. Change my pride and make me humble. Change me. If you want to see your family person change, it might start right here with you right here with me. And number three is, Lord, help me to fight this spiritual battle and realize that it is a spiritual battle and that the forces of evil are strong and they don't need to be ignored. That there is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we have a Savior who has defeated evil. He is greater than any evil that is battling in your family. He is risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father over all principalities, over all powers, over all dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He has all power and all authority, and we claim his authority over our family members, our siblings, our children. And then number five, you pray this, Lord, help me not to give up. <laughs> help me not to give up. Some of us are tired of being nice. Some of us are tired of being tough. We prayed a million times, but there hasn't been a change. Don't give up. 
One of the fruit of the spirit is long suffering. Tenacity is a spiritual fruit in our lives, not to give up. Don't give up. In closing this morning, it's important that we know who we serve. It's important to know what the Father's business is about. It's important that we all go to the Father's house in our, at a time in our life, just like these children that were baptized. And I prayed over them, and we, we, you shared with them that one day these children will go to their Heavenly Father's house. And they will make a decision to receive Him into their hearts. And you've done a wonderful act of, of grace upon them today, and, and this congregation will support them. But these children have got to go to their Father's house. And they've got to have a conversation with the Father. And so choose who you will serve. And let me just say this to the congregation. Don't blame your lack of faith or your weak faith on your family's lack of faith or your family's weak faith. Don't blame your lack of faith on your family's imperfect faith. Joshua 24, 15 says, if it is disagreeable you in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living now. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. These three families today stood before this congregation said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to raise our kids in the Lord's house. I was not blessed to grow up in a Christian family. For the longest time, I was the only Christian in my immediate family. But by the grace of God, I didn't blame my family for my lack of faith. I didn't blame my family for not giving me faith. And folks, if you're blaming your parents for not giving you faith... You need to stop. If Jesus had blamed his family, he wouldn't have been the savior of the world. And he moved past their lack of faith and their weak faith to do what God called him to do. There are times we've got to step out from a weak faith and find and discover a strong faith. And then the second thing I would say to you this morning is don't base your faith only on your family's faith. What I mean by that is God doesn't have any grandchildren. Do you hear me? God doesn't have any grandchildren. Faith isn't inherited. It is not inherited. Faith is not received by an injection. Faith can be modeled. Faith can be demonstrated. Faith can be an example. But we've got to choose our own faith. And we can't live off our parents' faith. These children are going to live off of mom and dad for a while but not forever. We cannot live off our parents' faith. Again, Lynn grew up in a great Christian home, my wife, a godly mom. And, 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 and Lynn was impacted by that faith. When seven of us, my friends, seven of us came to, initially came to Myrtle Beach uh, and, to, and gave up our jobs and left our families in Kentucky and came totally by faith to, to work at the beach. And I met Lynn 
And, and as we talked about what we had done and what we were doing, how we were trusting God completely with everything we had, and we surrendered our life to him, and we were going to follow him into full-time ministry, Linda never seen a faith like that, a radical faith like that. And it intrigued her. And I think that while I was trying to pursue her and date her, she was more intrigued by my faith than my face. <laughs> because she had not seen a faith like that. And as we spent a summer in ministry together and talking and sharing and dreaming together, she, she, she went to a much deeper place in her faith. And it changed her life forever. And it changed our life forever. So you got to move past your family's faith. You got to discover your own personal walk with Jesus. So I would say to you in closing this morning, find your faith in Jesus. Don't blame your family and don't hold on to your family faith. Nothing wrong with that, but you got to have your faith. You got to feed your faith. You know, there are people here today as, as family are gathered here with these children. Sometimes we, that means we go to a different church. It means we go to a different state. And all of us have family that are in different places in their walk, but they're growing and that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. And then you got to follow your faith into mission, into ministry. And I'm so glad that Lynn and I fell in love, but most of all, we fell in love through our faith. And we have a mission and a ministry together. You see, Jesus was willing to step right up and die for the sins of the world. But in doing so, he also died for the sins of his family. Jesus came to save the world, but he also came to save his family, his brothers, his family. He came to save me, and he came to save you, and he came to save your family, and he came to save my family. And I'm going to pray that, and I'm going to claim that, and I'm going to believe that as long as I live, and I'm not going to give up. And don't you give up either. You know, Jesus understands your family circus because he lived in one. He lived in one. I'm going to close with this verse from Hebrews 14, from the message version. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest who, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. Hear that. Jesus is not out of touch with your reality. He knows your situation. He knows everything that's going on in your life and the life of your family. He's been through weakness and testing and experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up. Let's step right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. Today, will you accept his help in the midst of your family, in the midst of your situation? We're going to sing in just a moment an incredible hymn. It's one of my favorite that has guided me from early days when I first met Lynn. We were singing this song in a group that I sang in and sang with. Precious Lord, take my hand. He needs to take your hand today and lead you through the challenge you're in. He'll lead you to life and life abundant. Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you that you've called us to be here today. I thank you that you have a plan for our lives. I thank you that Jesus came into this world and, and experienced all that we experience. He showed us how to honor and obey. He showed us how to serve. He showed us how to not give up. And he showed us how to be about his father's business, not just his family's business. 
So Father, I pray for every family represented here today, that we would make you number one, that you would have first place in our lives and in our family. And I pray for that person right now who has wandered away from you. And Lord God, that you brought them here today for a reason. And that right now that they would confess their sins to you and say, Father, I've been more about my business than your business. Forgive me. And Father God, I want to be about what you have for my life. Bring healing, bring help, bring transformation. And I pray for a family right now in this place that's broken. It's broken right down the middle. It's splintered all the way apart. And I pray, Father God, that you would bring healing and that you would bring your Holy Spirit and that you would give that person right now the strength they need to navigate this family circus. And that we can say with Paul, the Apostle Paul, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Lord Jesus, take our hands and lead us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.